Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22, as we continue our series and our, and our study of book one of the Psalms, but then especially uh, this Psalm, we read uh, the first 21 verses of this Psalm last week. We'll be concluding our look at Psalm 22 this evening. Um, Having endured the sufferings of the cross, Jesus rose from the grave. And and while last week what we were looking at was very somber, we now come to this portion of the psalm that is all celebration. And what we were looking at last week, we were reading and we were reflecting on Christ's work for us. Now we're reading and we're rejoicing. Christ has conquered. And so He calls us to worship. And he compels the nations to repent and come into his kingdom. That's what we're going to see as we look at Psalm 22 this evening. And as we approach the Lord's word, let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord, your word never fails. And so would you draw us close to you as we read your word? Would you send your spirit and help us to see you for who you are? Lord, would you sanctify us? Would you help us to to see our sin, to be convicted of it, and to repent? Lord, would you help us where we are in need, where we feel frail and burdened, weighed down by the cares of this world? Lord, would you comfort us with all the promises of your wonderful gospel? Lord, uh, though our sin is heavy, uh, Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus uh, to free us from sin and to give us new life. Lord, help us to rejoice in Him as we read Your Word this evening. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, Psalm 22, beginning in verse 22. I will tell of Your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise You. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before Him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve Him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation, They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, that He has done it. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. And you may be seated. It almost feels like a different psalm than the one we read last week. Uh, Truly, it's a night and day difference. Psalm 22, the first 21 verses of of it. And, And it reminds us, that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning, that on resurrection day the sun rose and all our fears were chased away. Uh, 
I think we need some reminder of where we've come in Psalm 22. And so uh, if, if you would uh, look back at the very beginning of this psalm, and, and let me just remind you of a few things from what we read last week. Uh, look briefly at verse 1 with me. Remember how this psalm started. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, this was Jesus' cry on the cross, and this psalm is His prayer from the cross, expressing that intense feeling of forsakenness while He was on the cross. That God was not answering His pleas for deliverance. On the cross, Jesus was taking on our sin. And the Father was pouring out His wrath against our sin on Jesus. Jesus was our substitute, taking on the penalty for our sin on Himself. And He was willing to do this in order to save us. And so in the very next verse of Psalm 22, in verse 2, Jesus prayed to the Father, but you do not answer. It's this expression of uh, not quite despair on the cross, but what, uh, what Jesus was seeing, what Jesus was experiencing while He was on the cross. But then, if you perhaps you have to turn the page, but if you go over to verse 21, you see that the response comes. It says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now in Hebrew, the, the word that uh, English translates rescued there is actually the same word from verse 2. It's, but you do not answer in verse 2. And then in verse 21, but you have answered me. It's to emphasize this completion. That the Lord who did in fact hear the Lord Jesus, that the Lord who was pouring out His wrath on Jesus so that He might be our Savior, that the Lord did answer Him. That the Lord is faithful to every one of His promises. The Father answered His Son so that we might be saved. Now about that verse 21, if you're looking at it, uh, part of that might stand out to you as a little bit odd. He rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Dale Ralph Davis uh, looks at that verse and says, being thrown in the air by an ox is about as much trouble you can be in. And uh, you're under direct assault. You may even be pierced. But it's at that moment, at the very worst moment, that the father answered his son. Now Jesus was rescued from the cross but not by coming down off of the cross. You remember that's what the scoffers uh, wanted from him. Uh, and Psalm 22 anticipated that the scoffers around Jesus would say that kind of thing. Prove, prove yourself, prove that you are the Son of God by coming down off of the cross. Uh, won't the Lord answer you? They're, they're scoffing at him, they're, they're, they're mocking him, much in the same way that Satan mocked Jesus uh, in Matthew 4, when Satan tempted him directly. But Jesus did not come down off the cross in that way. The Lord didn't answer Jesus in that way. He was saved not from death, but through death. He really died on the cross, and then He was really laid in the tomb, and then He really rose on the third day. Well, in Psalm 22, we got for those 21 verses at the beginning, we got a long description in many parts of the crucifixion. And so in contrast, a description of the resurrection, you would think that the rest of the psalm would be about a description of the resurrection. 
Um, but, but really, the only description of the resurrection that we get is that verse 21, that, uh, that, that you have rescued me from the horns of wild oxen. What the rest of the psalm emphasizes is worship. What do we do in light of the resurrection now that Jesus has risen? How do we respond? What does the celebration look like since Jesus is risen from the grave? Uh, well, the rest of the psalm, it's, it's almost like we're swept up in a celebration. And we see in verses 22 through 26, uh, the gathering of the church, the church celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And then in the rest of the psalm, we see the spread of this good news, uh, the call to the nations uh, to come in and, uh, and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and find life in Him. And so let's look at those two things together this evening. Uh, look at verse 22 with me and uh, see how wonderful this verse is. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Uh, Jesus is saying, I will tell your name, Father, to the church, to the congregation. And, and what is Jesus' name for the congregation? What is, the na- what is his name for the church? What is the name for the people that he died for? Well, he says, to my brothers. Uh, this family language. And it's the exact same language that Jesus uses in John chapter 20, verse 17, when Jesus is speaking to Mary. Uh, he says, do not cling to me. She, was, uh, she had fallen at his feet and, and was grabbing them. He says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Isn't that wonderful? By Jesus' work on the cross, Jesus has made us His brothers, His very family. Uh, We are, as Romans 8 uh, verse 17 says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you notice at the end of that John passage that Jesus said, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is what Jesus has purchased for us by His work on the cross. And so Romans 8, Paul says that we are, therefore we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What is a fellow heir? In a family, who gets the inheritance of the Father? Well, the children do. Well, because of Christ, we have been adopted. And because this is how adoption works, we become full members of the family with all the benefits thereof. We don't deserve this at all. We are the sinners for whom Jesus went to the cross to die. It was because of us that He endured such pain, such torture. And the forsakenness of God, His wrath being poured out, And yet it's for us that Jesus did all of this to make us brothers and sisters of His, to invite us into His family. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 15, we have received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of adoption, that we who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's a wonderful thing. We who were alienated, Uh, who were uh, broken by our sin, have been welcomed into the family of God. 
beautiful story in the Old Testament is that of David and his friendship with Jonathan. Uh, When David was in this already and not yet phase of his life, he had already been anointed as king by Samuel, but he had not yet become publicly recognized as the king. Saul was still the king, and David developed this really important and wonderful friendship with Saul, the king's son, Jonathan. And at a time that David was on the run from Saul, he met with Jonathan, and they made a covenant together. They pledged lifelong friendship with each other. And one of the the promises that David made to Jonathan was to care for Jonathan's family to treat his family as if they were his very own. Now, this would have been surprising in some ways because Jonathan is the son of the current king. If anybody had uh, a right in some sense or might have the temptation to be jealous of David, the future king, it would be Jonathan. Why why doesn't he get to be the future king? Well, uh, Jonathan uh, is wonderfully humble about this, uh, but it wouldn't have been uncommon... uh, in, in the ancient world for uh, when someone became a, a king to, to kill off the, the former king's family if it wasn't of his own family uh, so that he would have no rivals to his throne. Well, David pledges the opposite to Jonathan. Uh, he says he's going to treat his family as if it was his very own. Well, Jonathan and David's friendship did not last much longer. Saul, the king, and Jonathan tragically died in battle against the Philistines. Well, after David was anointed king, he asked if there was anyone in the family of Jonathan that he could bless, that he could show mercy to. And there was, in fact. Uh, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Kids, it's a really fun name to say. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was crippled, actually on the day that uh, Jonathan and Saul died. He was dropped uh, and and he was unable to walk and care for himself. And David called Mephibosheth to him. Uh, and, and what's going to happen? Does Mephibosheth even know that David has made this promise to his father, Jonathan? Uh, is he coming to be killed? Is he coming to be done away with? Uh, David instead invites Mephibosheth to come and sit at his table. He was carried to his table. Uh, David invited Mephibosheth, uh, this poor, crippled, broken man, to come and dine at the table of the king. Brothers and sisters, in so many ways, it's a, it's a picture of us. We are undeserving to sit at the table of the king, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ carries us, brings us himself to his table, has brought us in and treated us as his very own family, his own Brothers and sisters, what grace the Lord Jesus has poured out on us. The author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 22, verse 22 here, and says, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, and then he quotes our verse, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Isn't this the best news? Brothers and sisters, you are his brothers and sisters. And he is not ashamed to give you that name. Some of us perhaps this evening need to especially hear that and ponder that aspect of this truth, that he is not ashamed. 
the Lord Jesus hasn't seated you at a different table. He hasn't brought you in, but then put you in a different room. He hasn't stuck you way down at the end, and it's fine that you're there, but don't talk to anybody else. Maybe don't even look at him. Maybe he'll forget you're there. No. The Lord Jesus brought you and seated you at his table. You didn't earn it. You were crippled in your sin. And he brought you in. When Jesus spoke to Mary and told her to go tell the disciples, he was talking about the eleven. The eleven who, by the way, argued over which one of them was the greatest who weren't sure which one of them was going to betray him, uh, who couldn't stay awake and pray with Jesus in the torment of his soul before the crucifixion. It was that group of 11 that Jesus told Mary, go tell my brothers what has happened. That group of 11 included Peter, who tried to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross, who almost refused foot washing from Jesus, who even denied Jesus three times, even at one point to a little girl. And there were ten of whom in that group that deserted Jesus for his crucifixion, the apostle John alone remaining with him. And it's about those men that Jesus says, go tell my brothers. They don't deserve that grace. We don't deserve that grace. But it is grace alone that makes Jesus our brother. Well, brothers and sisters, what do you want to be? How do you want to be known? Do you want to be great in the world? Do you want to be rich? Do you want to be powerful? Do you want to be influential? Look, there's nothing wrong with having godly ambition. But are you content? Do you rest in the title of being Jesus' brother? being Jesus' sister? Is that all you want in this world? If it is, if you, if you love being Jesus' brother, Jesus' sister, then the world can call you all kinds of hurtful, untrue things. And you just let the title of brother or sister of Christ be the armor that deflects every single slander. This is all I care about anymore being a son of God and a brother of Jesus, being a daughter of God and a sister of Jesus. You, you may think all these people make fun of me or slander me because I'm a Christian. They call me stupid, bigoted, ignorant, out of touch. Who cares? Jesus calls you brother. Jesus calls you sister. People I care about are ashamed of me because I'm a Christian. Jesus isn't ashamed. He isn't ashamed to call you brother. Or sister, brothers and sisters, rest in that fact. Learn to live in it. Rejoice in it. If you are in Christ, you are His. And He is yours. Our older brother, the King, does not just call us into His family. His, he praises His Father. And so, as He calls us, brothers and sisters, He also calls us to worship. Look at verse 23 with me as the psalm continues. We see here that Jesus is our worship leader. He says, you who fear the Lord, praise Him. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. And this is what we're to do in response to being called brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to worship Him. Uh, you who fear the Lord, praise Him. So, 
Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Psalms tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of worship. To fear the Lord is to know that He's God, to stand in awe of Him, as verse 23 says, to know that He is glorious. If you believe that, then you'll want to glorify Him. You'll want to attest to His glory. Now, some try to explain that the biblical use of the word fear just simply means respect. And it does mean that. But people want to avoid the impression that we're scared of God. And, And that's true. Christians don't hide from God. We're not scared of Him. But the fear that's being described here, it looks like trembling. And yet it's a trembling as we draw near to Him. A proper fear of the Lord doesn't make us run from Him. It makes us run to Him. It looks like joy and awe, a proper fear of the Lord. Well, what do we especially praise Him for? As we, as we fear the Lord, as we praise Him, what do we praise Him for? Well, verse 24 tells us, uh, for redemption. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. For He, the Father, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And here the focus is Jesus, the one who was afflicted on the cross. The Lord heard Him. This is reinforcing the rescue that was talked about in verse 21. The Father answered Jesus' prayer. But we should pay attention to how did that answer come? Well, for Jesus, the answer to his prayer came after hours on the cross, after the agony of feeling forsaken and receiving the full wrath of God being poured out for sin. After dying, Jesus was delivered from death. And in no part of this was the Father separating Himself from the Son. Jesus never sinned. He never doubted His Father. Even in His darkest moment on the cross, when perhaps that temptation was the greatest, Jesus rejoiced that God hears prayer. And it looked for a time like perhaps He wasn't, but the, but the Lord Jesus trusted and knew and He declares to us that even in our darkest moments, the Lord hears our prayer. If we are in Christ, we are united to Him. Jesus is saying in in this verse that the Father heard Him. And so, for the Son's sake, the Father will hear His brothers in their affliction. The Father will hear you. Jesus is the afflicted one. And by, by being united with Him, we are afflicted ones as well, who the Lord hears. And so we could think of ourselves as an assembly of the afflicted. And we, are, we all face affliction because uh, we are united with Christ in different and varying ways. But throughout all of it, we cry to Him. And we keep doing it like Jesus taught us to. We do not grow weary. We, we keep calling out to the Lord. Jesus endured a lifetime of humiliation and it culminated for Him on the cross. And what did He do on the cross? We talked about it last week, looking at the beginning of this psalm. He kept praying. The Gospels are persistent in showing us how often Jesus prayed. How often He would get away from everything else and pray. Brothers and sisters, do not get tired of praying. 
even when it's dark, even when it hurts, even when trials are long, trust, pray, obey Him. Jesus taught us how, and more than that, Jesus sends His Holy Spirit to empower us and to help us in our weakness. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Lord sends the Spirit to help us. And brothers and sisters, He's also blessed us with each other. Have others pray for you. And especially so that when your prayers are answered, you might bring your praise to the congregation. And in fact, that's what happens in our next verse. Look at verse 25. Uh, It says, From you comes my praise. Where? In the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. Uh, Praise God and don't keep it to yourself. The Father delivering Jesus from death is the basis for our worship because His death and His resurrection save us into a worshiping life. David, at the time that he was writing this prophecy, uh, was using the terms of the means of grace of his day, bringing a free will offering to the Lord, paying a vow uh, because the Lord had been faithful to him. Well, Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law, so we no longer bring an animal sacrifice to the Lord. We, We don't pay that kind of vow to him anymore. But what we do is we come to worship. We share a holy meal with each other in the Lord's Supper. We spend time in prayer and fellowship with each other and we express thanks for what God has done for us. And we're specific about it. We ask one another to pray for us in our times of difficulty and then we report back to how either praise because the Lord answered or keep praying to our God who hears because I'm still in need. Brothers and sisters, come and continue to come to the assembly of the Lord. Uh, Come and worship with His people. Report and rejoice in what the Lord has done for you. Uh, Don't stay home. Unless you're providentially hindered, illness or something else uh, keeps you back, come to worship and rejoice with the saints. Rejoice with the saints. Aren't you struck by Bill Freeman's testimony? of coming to the church and sitting in the back until his body just wouldn't let him. Aren't you struck by this resolve? I'm going to trust the Lord. May it be all of ours. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to be real stubborn about it. Through all of our trials and our difficulties, we come to the Lord in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who endured all things for us. Well, verse 26 gives us this vivid picture of the fate of Jesus' brothers. Look at verse 26 with me. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. This wonderful statement, this wonderful blessing, benediction, may your hearts live forever. The, The afflicted, those who have been humbled, shall eat and be satisfied. Those who share in Jesus' sufferings, again, have a place at His table. Uh, This isn't salvation by works. We're not saved because we're afflicted. But if we are His brothers, then we share in His sufferings. 
We are, again, the assembly of the afflicted in one way or another to varying degrees. But there is satisfaction for the suffering. Uh, There is a promise for us uh, at, at the end of difficulty in our life. We are promised a feast. And in the Lord's Supper, Jesus has given us breadcrumbs that lead us along the way to the final wedding feast of heaven. Isaiah 55 talks about this. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why does it speak this way? Well, because the the wine, the milk, the bread, the blessings of our Lord aren't things you can buy. They come to you as a gift from Him. And so come to Him in faith and find riches. Find the riches of forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and fellowship, joy, and peace with the Father. Isaiah 55 continues and says, Why would you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why would you labor for that which does not satisfy? Don't content yourself, it's saying, with idols with the small things of life and ignore the one from whom all blessings flow. Go to the Lord. Isaiah 55 says, Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. God keeps His covenant with His people. And He has the riches of His presence, of eternal life, of forgiveness of sin for you through Christ. That that phrase at the end of the passage that I read from Isaiah 55, that here that your soul may live, it's, it's kind of similar to what's there in verse 26, isn't it? May your hearts live forever. What's that saying? Well, may the promises of the Lord apply to you through and through, from the inside out, to your whole self. The Heidelberg Catechism, uh, which which we say uh, on rotation here, uh, it begins this way, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have come to Him, then you have given your whole self to Him. Well, this good news of great joy is for the church. Uh, And that call extends the people throughout the world uh, to come in. And so I know we've spent a lot of time on that uh, first half of the point. We'll look just very briefly at this final section of the psalm, this call to the nations, as this call uh, goes out to the church and it goes out to the world, uh, that the gospel call would go to the ends of the world. Isn't this what we've been studying? Isn't this what we've been seeing in the book of Acts? that the gospel goes to all nations. Uh, Look at verse 27 with me. It says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Uh, It's it's this important reminder uh, that the gospel, uh, that the call of the Lord was not just for Israel, and then the Gentiles were forever excluded. In fact, Galatians chapter 3 says just the opposite. Look, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture 
Listen to this. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. As Pastor David's been saying that uh, the, the legalists, the circumcision party in the New Testament, those who said, no, no, the Gentiles can't come in, they're thinking that against what the Old Testament says, uh, which said that uh, the gospel would go forward to the nations. Uh, in, in, old, in the Old Testament, the believers uh, were looking for the coming of Christ. In the New Testament, we have faith, uh, in light of the New Testament, we have faith in the Christ who came. The administrations from the Old Testament to the New Testament are different. Now believers were baptized instead of circumcised as part of the ceremony. Our feasts, instead of all the kind of complicated ones in Leviticus, are the Lord's Supper. And, and the Lord Jesus is our sacrifice for sin. And, and, and why is all of this? Why do we rejoice in all of this? And, and how can this wonderful gospel message go to the ends of the earth? Well, because look at verse 28, because Yahweh is king over all the earth. He rules over the nations. And so verse 29, from the rich to the poor, all are without excuse. But in the same way, all, both rich and poor, are invited to come into the kingdom. This is reminiscent of Jesus' parable in Luke 14, of the banquet where many are invited but many make excuses. And so the invitation goes out to all, to the poor, to the crippled, to the blind, to the lame, to come in for the feast of grace. Look at the last two verses with me. Verse 30, posterity shall serve him. Posterity, those who come after children, the next generation shall serve him. And we remember here that the sum of the Christian life is to serve Christ. But verse 30, it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. And can I just pause here and, and, and let us look at this for just a moment. We ought to have a missionary zeal to see the ends of the earth come to Christ. And we ought to have that same sort of missionary zeal to see our neighbors come to Christ. We ought to pray for opportunities to share the gospel with those with whom we come in contact. But I think we should remember here that we also ought to be especially zealous and prayerful for our own children. And I say zealous, not overbearing. We don't want to exasperate our children or provoke them to anger. But we want to patiently and diligently teach the next generation. We want to love them. We want to teach them to obey the law but not just to obey, but to say with the psalmist in 119, I love your law. We want to tell them and we want to show them how to repent. We want them to love Jesus, to teach them how and to pray for them, to pray for them continually and to pray with them. We want to teach them how to call on his name. For what reason? Well, that verse 30, that posterity shall serve him. And verse 31 says, they shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, that He has done it. He has done it. That is the gospel message. 
Not we have done it. He saved us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He said from the cross, it is finished. And then He died and He rose to prove it was true. He has done it. And He continues to be the Lord who has done it. The Lord Jesus gets all the credit for our justification, for our salvation, for us coming uh, to be Christians in the first place. But then He continues to get all the credit for our sanctification, for us growing in the faith, maturing in the Gospel. And He gets credit for one day our glorification. Because brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus will not abandon you. He will not leave you. He will carry you all the way home. Isn't it amazing that on the cross, Jesus prayed the pain of the cross. He prayed the promises of His Father. But He also prayed for the salvation and the preservation of His people. The Lord Jesus had you in mind as He was on the cross paying for our sin. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank You for the grace that You've poured out to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, would You help us to love Him, to honor Him, to live for Him. Lord, we are great sinners. We thank You that we have a great, wonderful Savior who washes away our sin and helps us to walk in new obedience. Oh Lord, help us as we continue to worship You this evening. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.